So how about we pray? God, I just pray, God, that um, you will be our rest, that you will be the source of our sense of worth and wholeness. I pray that uh, we will uh, just be attentive to your voice, regardless of our journey of faith or where we're at right now, uh, either as not yet being Christians or being Christians or being knowing you for a while. But I just pray, God, that we will leave this place the same way we came in, God, that we will leave this place transformed by your word, transformed by the Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll bring, bring forth healing, you'll bring forth a word, Lord, of encouragement or a word of chastisement, a word of a challenging word, God, because uh, you love us so much that you discipline us too as your children. Uh, so I pray, God, may your spirit will be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you, Elena, for reading the passage of Scripture on Matthew. And um, just so you know, um, this Advent series, we're going through that what is called the ultimate king, prophet, and priest. Uh, that is Jesus Christ. Uh, so to give you a little background there, um, in the Old Testament, um, those are the, the first books of the Bible before Jesus came to the world. Um, those, uh, in those times, there were priests, there were prophets, and there were kings in Israel, right? We know as Christians that God chose Israel to be the, the ancient nation of Israel, to be the light of the world, right? He could have chosen any nation, but he chose Israel to, to be the light of the world so he can reach to all people of the world. He had a plan that progressively went through Israel and through the seed of Israel, specifically the seed of Judah, to specifically the seed of David, all the way to Jesus, right? And then, on those times, God spoke through kings, through prophets, and through priests, right? And we see throughout the Gospels, those are the historical accounts on the lives of Jesus, right? We see that... Uh, uh, in different instances, how Jesus was a priest, the one that, 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 that came to save the world. He was a sacrifice himself. He was a, the one that, that, that mediates and, and cleanses from our sin, right? And, and then the prophet himself, right? As, as the one that, that will be the mouthpiece of God and talking about his father and bringing the message of his father to the people, God, right? And then we see him as a king, as the one that will bring forth the kingdom right here on earth. Even Pilate says like, so are you a king of the Jews? There's this king. And he's like, yeah, my, I'm a king. The kingdom is not this kingdom. It's a kingdom beyond this kingdom, right? So we see these themes throughout, right? But on the Old Testament, uh, the king was not a prophet and a priest. The prophet was not a, a king either or a priest Sometimes it might be a prophet, but not a king, right? So they could have not, they couldn't be all of it at the same time. But Jesus fulfilled that which the prophets, the kings, and the priests could not fulfill on the time of Israel, on the time of the nation of Israel, right? Before Jesus. And that's why God had to take matters into his own hands. He himself came into the world. Okay? 
So in this new Advent series, we will be, as I said, we'll be looking at how Jesus came to the earth to both reconcile God's broken relationship with humankind and to fulfill his intentions with society. When God's mediators fail because of sin, that is, sin that is a wrong being, who we are, To establish, so when God's mediators fail because of sin, to establish a long-lasting kingdom where the Lord reigned and His sacrificial love was embodied, God sent His Son on the first Christmas to become the ultimate mediator and fulfillment as King, Prophet, and Priest. So they fail. They, they fail, the prophets, the priests, the kings, they fail to establish this long-lasting kingdom where the Lord reigned and His sacrificial love was embodied. So then He... He sent His Son, He Himself, to the world as a fulfillment of being a king, a prophet, and a priest. But today, though, we're going to be looking specifically as Jesus, as King, and how He indeed is the King. Not a King, but the King. The ultimate King. But he is an unlikely king. He's not like any other king in the world. Now I'll give you, we saw here in this passage uh, how uh, the, the, the Magi, the Magi, um, they say that where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, he, they're talking king language, right? These Magi are saying, this, this baby is a king. He doesn't even have to be anointed as an adult to become a king. Right? Usually kings, they have to be anointed. They might be born prince or princess. But then they become kings later on as the parent might die or as the parent, uh, the father might uh, die there. So... Not disturb here. So, so Jesus was a king even before he was born. And then he says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when he rose and have come to worship him. They come to worship this foreign king. Though they were not Jews, they were foreign. Right? Babylonian, from the Far East, Magi or wise men, they came to worship the king. But let me give you a little bit of background here. Um, so who are the Magi? And I've talked a little bit about this a year ago. Um, but uh, it is the name given by the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. Now, the Babylonians were uh, a developed empire at uh, that time. You know, we see the, if you've taken history, you will know, right? Uh, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, then the Greeks and the Romans. There's like all these big empires that took over the known world, right? So, so, so they, they are the, the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians. You know, we have the Persian Empire. So they come from, from this tradition, and now these wise men, these wise, these magi were wise men. They were teachers. They were priests. 
Sometimes physicians, astrologers, seers, interpreters of dreams, agurs, soothsayers, sorcerers, they all kinds of, you know, wisdom at that time. Uh, and and they, they were very, uh, uh, people that were very, very studious and, and they would study the stars, right? And, and remember at that time there was more of a, 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 a worldview that's holistic. So the stars have to do with the divine and the divine has to do with the creation. And, and they all have this like knowledge from all these books and they somehow knew the books of the prophets and the books of the Hebrews and they've studied it well. So these are the Magi. Now the Magi out of their study of the Hebrew scriptures in par with astronomy and perhaps other fields of study, most likely, because they, they were, as you know, very scholar, scholarly. They have chosen to come from far away, traveling many miles to worship the king of the Jews. So they respond to the knowledge of the truth found in the prophets on the writers of the Old Testament, um, caused them to pursue Jesus to worship him. And we see that on verse 1 and 2. We saw that on... On, on the passage that Elena read for us. Now another, another background here is that we see that they brought gifts, right? On verse um, 11, it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped the baby, you know? But they knew from what they've studied that this was an unlikely king. Not like other kings. And then they opened their treasures. And they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and mirrors. Now traditionally the church. Ha, uh, you know this is tradition from the church for millennia. They've thought of the gifts representing uh, each of the offices of the Old Testament. So gold representing uh, gold representing um, kinship, frankincense representing priesthood, and me representing uh, being a prophet, right? I'm not going to get into frankincense and mirror today, but gold, that's what represents king, right? Kinship. And why? Why gold signifies kinship? It's kind of obvious in a way, but you know crowns usually have gold, Right? As you know. Even in Second Samuel 1230. I'm not sure if I have it here. Let me see. Oh, there you go. It's a good picture there. Yeah. So in Second Samuel 1230, when David was conquering another nation, he says that he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold, and it was a precious, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. So this <laughs> crown was made out of gold, signifying kinship. Now, gold through millennia has historically been associated with royalty and deity because of its resistance to corrosion and rarity. It was only reserved for the ones sitting in power and the wealthy one. Even today, gold continues to be used as a safe haven beyond money or either cash or other assets for investors which protect them from inflation and other economic risk. You know, like people that want to protect their investments, they buy gold, 
right? There's something about gold that protects or that it's, it, it, it maintains its like worth even beyond cash or the money you have on your bank account, right? And, and, and you know what the, the reserve banks have on their reserve, right? Gold. That's how they control inflation. The more gold you have on, your, on, on a nation has on their reserve, the more security they will have. It's just how it is. So the gold, it's, it, it's, it represents power. If Peru has good amount of gold in their bank reserve, they're going to be okay in their inflation, right? Like that's how it, there is something about gold and power and kinship and wealth. And they, here they are, they came and brought gold to Jesus. Now, let's go back. And let's see what happened, though, back in the Old Testament. Why Jesus had to come as a king. I have a few points here. So, Israel demands a human king. So, so, so we see this, where we see this right here on 2 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 to 9. At that point, Israel was a nation. But they saw all these other kingdoms having kings and they did not have a human king. Right? They had prophets, but no kings. And it says on 2 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 to 9. Now, Israel was a nomad. I mean, they will move around as a, as a nation, but then at this point they were settling into a, a space, right? And then now this is what's going on here. One of, of the prophets here, Samuel. And then the elders of Israel gathered together, those are the leadership in Israel, to Samuel at a place called Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, meaning Samuel, who was a prophet sent by God at that point to speak to the people as a mediator. But we're not talking about prophets. We're talking about kings today. Okay, but, but now appoint for us a king, they said. Behold, you're all and your sons will not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations around us. Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed, he talked to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me as their king. And then it says... According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. God has taken them out of that. Even to these days, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then obey their voice only. You shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And then after that you can read the verses that... that you know, the king will have all of these things out of, you know, they will have to be, to give him the, give him the 10% and they can grab daughters of their wives and all kind of like the bad things of having a king, a human king. But then you see a couple of things here going on. 
And those two things is that Israel denied God as a nation, rejected the Lord as, uh, uh, sorry, the nation of Israel rejected the Lord God as their God and king and wanted a human king. Why? What is the reason that Israel wanted not God to be their king, but to have a human king to judge over them? God himself answered the questions. For they have forsaken me and served other gods. They have other priorities to worship now. It's about themselves, the things they like. Now you might think, but Peter, what, what do you mean by the things they like? Do you know that back then when people worship gods, the gods have to do specifically with something? Fertility. Oh, I want my wife to have a kid. I'm going to talk to this god. Fertility god. Oh, I need food. I'm going to talk to this god. You know, over here that can give me food. Oh, you know, I'm failing in love, romantic. Oh, I'm going to talk to Agap, this like Aphrodite God here, so that they can give me what I want. Is it? Same thing. Same thing. It's just like they just put a name on it. Let me just have these gods because I, if I pray, maybe I get what I want. You know, I get this utility thing. Oh, this is the God of prosperity, this God, whatever. It's about the same. Okay? So, so then the nation of ancient Israel yearned to become like the other nations ruled by human kings appointed by their gods. But Israel was unique that it was the Lord, Yudhet Vavhe, Yehovah, some said. Um, it was the Lord, the unnamed God of Israel, their God who reigned and Lord over them. That was unique about the nation of Israel, that it was not a human king, but it was the Lord himself, their God who reigned over them. But now they wanted the wealth, the power, the sense of security, the political powers gave in other nations. They thought political institutions were going to give them that sense of purpose and security, their, uh, and security in their heart that their hearts were longing for, not knowing that God was the only one that could give them that sense of security. But even then, though, interestingly enough, what did God say to Samuel? Listen to their voice. That's called mercy and grace. It's an undeserved favor. It's an undeserved love of sacrifice. Even in my rejection, God said, even though they have denied me, I will give them what they want. That's crazy love right there. God is already showing sacrificial love back then. He progressively showed his sacrificial love all the way when he died himself on the cross. He sent his only son, begotten son, God himself, on the cross. But he's showing signs of sacrificial love even back then. It's a progression. It's not like here and then, boom, Jesus, right? It's, you, we see these throughout Scripture. To the Christ, building up to the Christ event. Building up to the Christ event. So then God was like, okay, I'll give them that. I will try to still accomplish my will through this human king. So God chooses King David to establish his kingdom in Israel. We know the first king is Saul. He failed because he did not... Uh, he did not surrender to God. He wanted to do his own thing. But God raised up this guy from the bottom, a shepherd called David. 
Now, you have to understand, kings back then on, uh, on, um, on uh, ancient uh, uh, Middle Eastern uh, culture, right? Or ancient Mediterranean culture. We know that the kings that were, the, the kings that, uh, uh, that were um, reigning these different countries or nations or peoples, uh, they represented God. Okay? They were called the son of God. It was normal. If you go to different... They, they know that the king represented their God. Some of them were very extremists, like the Egyptians, who like, were like the Pharaoh was like, a, like God himself. Others was like, yeah, the king represents God. We don't believe too much like the Egyptians do, that they're actually God. But they represent God. They're like the son of God in human form. So there is that in their minds already. It's their representing God. So David many times is in that way called a sign of God, of the Lord, right? But then God chooses King David to establish his kingdom in Israel. A kingdom of sacrificial love, of justice, right? Of shalom, of wholeness. And then we see that in 1 Samuel 18, 14... That David had success in all his undertaking for the Lord was with him. This is when he was young, right? When he was starting to reign. And, and then, and, 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 and then the, the, the hand of the Lord was in David. He had success in everything he did for the Lord was with him. God's presence was dwelling through King David. And King David was reigning and bringing God's kingdom to Israel. That's what uh, everyone, uh, historians call the time of David, the golden age of Israel. Not Solomon, David. Solomon was good about middle-aged sound. Then things go went south. But with David, there was something about David's reign. That, that the, there was a poor among them. The well that came to Jerusalem would go out to the people in need. There were family, they will worship God, they will do stuff. There was something about David that was bringing the kingdom of God to Israel. And eventually they were the light. Even, even his son, there was the, king of, the queen of Sheba of a very uh, wealthy country that, that went to, to, to Solomon and was like, I have never seen such kingdom like this. She was so, so in awe of it. The kingdom of heaven was there at that time. And then it, it, it says though. That, but, but then we know that that was not going to last forever. Now we, we see this um, here in um, 2 Samuel 7. Now this is later. David is old already. And then we see though that we can see that. God's hand is in David because it says that now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David. Thus is the Lord of hosts. This is the prophet Nathan talking to King David. I took you from the pastor from following the ship that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. So he's narrating the prosperity of in a way our peace and of, of like Israel at that time. I have been with you wherever you went. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name. Like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them. 
I will plant them. I will settle them. Give them security so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. No more wars. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From that time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, you can see that this is a a prophetic word for Jesus, who will establish a kingdom. He did not say that it was going to be his son, though. He said, an offspring after you sometime. So he doesn't give it a specific, oh, your son Solomon will do that. No. He was your offspring. I will establish this kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he come, um, and then on verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall establish for shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all the vision Nathan spoke to David. So we see that God is saying, from you there's gonna be a kingdom that will last forever. Okay, so so Israel demands a human king. Rejecting God because they're worshiping all these other idols. God was like in his sacrificial love. Okay, I will work with a human king. I'll send David and establish my kingdom on earth through David. So he chose him. But then, guess what happens? Boom. Crash. Human kinship fell through King Solomon. Now even Solomon has written parts of the scripture like Proverbs, right? We know he's a wise man. But not all his life was like that. At the end of his life, he gave in to the idols and the other things. Even though he has seen God himself and the glory and God has spoken himself personally, even then... He turned his back on God. We see this in 1 Kings. Verses uh, chapter 11, 4 to 8. So, so now God's will for chesed. That's the, the, the Hebrew word for, for, um, for love, for sacrificial love. His, his will for mishpah through Israel kinships fell because of sin. Because of this Solomon going after these other idols. Now we know the kingship of David was the best representation at the time of God's will and microcosm of his sacrificially loved society. Even, even um, Martin Luther King Jr. Calls, talks about the beloved community. If you're familiar with history in the U.S. Or like there is this, this sacrificial love community. They sacrifice for each other because of God. There is this justice. This God, this, there's no poor. Everyone's given. There's this peace, this wholeness, this intimacy with God. This friendship. 
between God, between people. But it ultimately failed because of human sin, because of the idols that they worshipped. Putting, meaning that they put anything else first before the Lord. Now we see here, and it says, uh, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after, God, after other gods. He had many wives. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. There you go. We see that David was the chosen one. Solomon could not, could not do what his father did. Not like David. It says, For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, so all these other gods who probably represent some sort of thing. Maybe, I don't know, I haven't done that research. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, another god from another nation, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. So we see here that Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. So now what? It's all gone. We know after that, that the kingdom was broken into two kingdoms. And then there were all these, God, these kings that were good, that were bad, 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 mostly bad, evil kings. But that was not the kingdom of God anymore. It, it, they will all, if you read the scripture, they always be like, yeah, it wasn't like David's time. It wasn't like David's time. It wasn't like David's time. And they always refer that there was someone that will come, that it will be not the son of Solomon, not the son of another king, but the son of David. I always refer back to David. Do you think just people randomly refer back to David? Why did not refer back to Saul or back to Solomon? What back to David? Because that's the, king, the representation of the kingdom of God back then in a microcosm. And there was someone that was going to sit on the throne of David. So now, God's will of establishing His kingdom is ultimately fulfilled by Jesus. This is why the Magi knew. They, they knew everything that I'm talking to you. They, they knew because they, they, were, they, were, they were scholars. They read the scriptures. They know all these things. So what happened? God's will of establishing His kingdom is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. How? Only Jesus could ultimately fulfill God's will of reconciling humankind with God. David's reign was a stepping stone to that ultimate goal. So Christ's reign was prophesied by many prophets. We see that. That means that it was called to the future that this was going to happen at some point. And he was to establish not a kingdom as the one that Israelites wanted when they asked a prophet Samuel to give them a king. Remember? They wanted one specific type of kingdom. But rather a heavenly kingdom that was not contaminated with sin and political human empire's ideals. Like what we saw in Christ's time with the Roman Empire, right? Or our time with the political powers of today. Like, same thing, you know. Think about U.S., Europe, China, all the powers of this world. Same thing. That, that, that we saw in Christ's time with the Roman Empire 
This was not the kingdom he was talking about. Now this was the kingdom that he was talking about in Isaiah 9. Isaiah was a prophet on the, about, thousand, about 600, 600 years before Jesus came. Um, in Isaiah 9 it says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne, again, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice that is God's intended community of sacrificial love and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The seal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we see that his, this Jesus was going to come and be birthed. And again, the Magi knew this scripture. They knew this passage of scripture from their archives. Now we see that also on Luke. Now remember that the king is represented God through their failure. So God incarnate came to earth to fulfill his kingship. As intended through Israel, a specific king's David throne. Not for one nation, but for all people now. We saw in David was just for Israel. But now in Jesus was for all. Right? Now with Jesus was for all. Now you say, like, Peter, but that happened just from one time to, to like, that fast? No. Think about the prophet Jonah. I'm not going to talk into that much. But prophet Jonah went to Nineveh, and God accepted this Mesopotamian country, their repentance. God was already on the business of being king of other nations, even before Jesus came. But then it became fulfilled fully through Jesus. Right? Now we see uh, on Luke 1, 32, 32, that and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. This is historical account of the time of Jesus in Luke. And the Lord God will give to him, what? Read it. The throne of his father, David. Again, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. He will be forever. Forever. And, and, and then... And then we see at the end of Jesus' time, when he was about to be crucified, he had this encounter with Pilate. And then Pilate entered his headquarters. He's a Roman, a Roman leader. Now, this was the opposite of Jesus' reign, right? Like, he was all about political power and kinship. And then he said, are you the king of the Jews, he says? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? 
said Jesus. Then Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Am I part of your nation? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done wrong? Jesus answered, again, my kingdom is not of this world. In my kingdom, kingdom, king, right? Where of this world, my servants will have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. To dwell into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who saw the truth listens to my voice. He was born king forever. Jesus Christ declares himself as the ultimate unlikely king. Not like the kings of the world which rely on political ideas. But rather a king who reigns through sacrificial love. Who does not seek power. But quite the opposite. Releases to the point of death. So what are we to make of the Magi then? We saw here that Israel demands a human king. They reject God because of their idols. Then God chooses David to establish his kingdom. Say yes in his sacrificial love. Okay, I'll work with David. Then that human kingship fails through King Solomon because of the same thing. Then God establishes his kingdom through Jesus. So what are we to make of the Magi? Visit to the Jesus, the coming king. Well, they knew a lot more than us about the scriptures. They know about astronomy, among other subjects that informed them of the precise time and location of the birth of the new king. And being non-Jews themselves, they understood of this kingdom, of the kingdom this king was establishing on earth. They decided to travel a long distance, not to just pay honor, but to worship him, giving away all other idols in their lives. They came and worship. Not only that, but if we would have read the whole passage there, we skipped some verses, they deny all allegiance to human kings. How? Because Herod the king told them, remember, they were traveling by, they stopped to see King Herod. And then King Herod was like, oh, please, if you see him, because why King Herod's kingship was threatened by King Jesus. And we know that he ended up killing like two years and younger kids because of his, his sick power, you know, seeking power and remaining in power. But he, they did not listen to this king, but they listened to that king. Not a king, but that king. Now, we see that, that they ignore the commands of Herod the king when these went against the ideals of God's kingdom. That doesn't mean that you are just going to disobey your, your authority now and be like, oh yeah, this leader here says that, but you know the Bible says that. We, no, no, no. It's whenever that goes against the ideals of the kingdom. 
And in this case, he was going against the ideals of the kingdom because this guy wanted to kill Jesus, right? So they did not obey that because it supersedes the kingdom of heaven, of the ideals of scripture. Though the earthly kings failed to reign the way God intended them to reign, to establish a kingdom of sacrificial love and justice that will ultimately expand to all people, God in his mercy decided to come and dwell among us through his son, Jesus Christ. He decided to take the matters into his own hands that he may reign and reestablish a direct relationship with humanity. He came and was like, you know what? Yeah, King David did good, but Solomon messed up. I'm going to know myself now to the world. And I'm going to be with them in human form. Actually, his name was Emmanuel too, which means what? God with us. God dwelling with us. God is with us, Emmanuel. Now we see here on John 1.14, now remember we went all the way, the last verses of John when he was talking about his kinship. Yeah, so John is kind of like the weird historical account, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those historical accounts, they kind of look alike. But John is kind of like not a synoptic gospel. It's its own thing because the way it expresses himself is different, right? But this is the account, of the Christmas account of John, if you will. This is the Christmas account of John. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God to the earth dwelt. But he did not reign as human kings reign, but rather came to earth as poor among the poor, dying a death of a criminal so to bear the sin. That's any idols we try to fulfill our hearts with that are not God. That's sin. He, he paid for that for all mankind, not just as a representative of God, like human kings or like David, but as God incarnate right here. A hundred percent God, a hundred percent human. His destiny as a suffering servant king was prophesied for hundreds of years before his birth. But it is also prophesied in the nativity scene. As Christ was born among the pets of the household that were clean animals reserved to be sacrificed on the temple. A lot of people don't know this. But for the animals, it's not like, you know, traditional wool thing like, oh, Jesus just went, poor thing. They put him outside there with like animals. N not really. If you knew the culture, if you were reading this as another, uh, a contemporary, you will understand. But basically on households there, they had their pets inside the household, which were reserved for sacrificial, you know, for sacrifice, for the atonement or the forgiveness of the sins of the family. But they became very beloved because they're like pets. So they have sacrificed not just random, you know, uh, pet or animal. It's someone that, someone that you've developed a relationship in a way, you know, with a pet. They, they were inside the house. And they were the ones that will give warmth to the second floor, right? So you want a warm space for baby Jesus, right? Not cold. So then he was born among them because even that scene, what the, the historical accounts are saying is that, yeah, he, he, was, he was destined to die just as those pets were destined to die. 
you know? So, in short, Christ the King dwelt among the people, became a servant, rejected political power, died the death of a criminal, to ultimately reign in a kingdom that is not of this world, and also to give ultimate peace and prosperity to all people. And he died for the things we should have paid for worshiping other idols, for sinning. But he took that consequence. That's justice, right? Everything wrong that you do, there is a consequence. That's why people go to prison, right? But then he's like, I will pay that prison sentence for you. I will die that you don't have to, that I may have a relationship with you. Now, I'm going to invite the worship. Is that okay? Grace, come and play a little bit. Just to reflect. Just use my Yeah, perfect. So now, I invite you to reflect. Now, what about us? What about the Magi? But what about us? We, ask these questions, have I made Jesus my ultimate king? The one who will lord over my life, the one whom I will destine my soul worship. Have I made him my ultimate king? Or have I been preoccupied with other things in my life? What am I to do tomorrow? Or the day after. What about you calling me God? Even things that are good. So, are there any idols I have been worshiping? Even things that are good, like a work or a relationship. Or just trying to have financial security. It has not changed from back in Israel. They wanted financial security. They worshipped the God of money. So they can get the money. It's the same. We just, we just don't have a figurine to worship. We just straight up worshiping. It's even worse than me. Are there any idols I have been worshiping? Am I willing to give up these idols and make Jesus my ultimate Lord and King? So now, would I be willing to give up anything that has taken space in my heart before the Lord? As idols, just as the Magis did that first day of Christmas. So, just feel free to pray a prayer of forgiveness of your sins. Turn back to your loving Lord. Let Him reign over your life. I'm just going to allow some time for us to reflect as David here, talking about David.
um, lead us in some worship. Um, you can feel free to stand, to sit, to sing, to pray, and I will be just sort of going over the three questions so you can continue to reflect on the next five minutes or so.